This passage introduces our summer series on the questions Jesus asked. This question is in one of the post-resurrection experiences that the disciples have of meeting Jesus. It comes from the Gospel of Luke. The disciples are gathered together and they are grief-stricken. But while they were talking about their sadness, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And while in this time of their disbelieving and still wondering, Jesus then said to them, Have you anything to eat? And the disciples gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. This ends the reading from the Gospel of Luke, and may these words, which once inspired the early church, inspire our hearts as well. So let's remain seated and sing verses 1. The summer sermon series is entitled, The Questions Jesus Asked. And we've introduced it a couple of times by sharing with you that Jesus doesn't answer many questions. He's not an answer man to all the questions of life. He has asked something like 180 questions in the Gospels, and he answers seven or eight of them. But what Jesus does do is ask questions of us. He asks 307 questions of those who follow him. And it was out of that that Catherine suggested that maybe that might be the this focus of our summer sermon series. And so, it begins this day. With our story from the Gospel of Luke, which occurs just hours after the first Easter. And thus, you could say that it's a foundational story of what it means to be the church. But it's also been suggested that families and churches are fairly similar. Fairly similar in that both families and churches in their time together find that when they are most meaningful, they usually do three things. They gather together, tell stories, and break bread. I mean, that pretty accurately represents the best of family get-togethers and our life of worship as well. I mean, think of Thanksgiving dinner. People have gathered from all over, and you've enjoyed a wonderful meal, and you sit around the table, and you reminisce. You tell stories of, of the terrible jokes Uncle Bill always told. And when we worship, we gather together, tell God's story, and often break the, bread, the communion bread that reminds us that we are forgiven and loved. And that's what this morning's story follows as well, a very similar pattern that families and churches know when they're at their best. We find a faithful remnant gathered. But I've always imagined it was less a gathering and that more that they were, they were huddled around a fire in the courtyard. Or in another version, the Gospel of John, on a pebble-strewn shoreline at the north end of the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples were dismayed. They were broken. They were grieving. And apparently they were absent-mindedly grilling some fish, perhaps in olive oil, and wondering if life as they knew it was over. Jesus was gone. And then, much to their surprise, maybe even to their annoyance, a stranger appears and inquires if they have anything to spare from the, from the sizzling skillet in the red-hot coals of the fire. And I've always imagined at first 
instead of responding with grace and hospitality, I sort of imagine the disciples grumbling, thinking to themselves, of course, here we go. Another straggler who didn't bait the hooks, no blisters on the hands from rowing the oars, nicks from cleaning the fish. But of course, this stranger would like a bite to eat. But take heart, you heard it, right? It's good news. The disciples find their way to kindness and hope. They discover that path to kindness and hope because they soon discover that the famished stranger is Jesus. It's Jesus? And they realize that their journey with Jesus isn't over as they thought when the tomb was sealed, but it's actually now just beginning. And we can't know exactly how they felt, but it's been said for generations that a renewed faith is a little like falling in love. A friend suggested that if there was ever going to be a time that Jesus was going to be direct, straightforward about his teachings, go right to the point, a time he would stick to something that was memorable to the disciples, it would be now, after the resurrection. Right? He'd be direct and say, I am back. Believe. No worries. All will be well. But even the post-empty tomb Jesus is still asking questions. He does it to the disciples as they make their way to Emmaus in the Gospel of John. He joins them unrecognized. He's always unrecognized at first after the resurrection. He walks with them and asks them the question, what are you talking about? And then here in a courtyard or in the Gospel of John on a shoreline of the Sea of Galilee around a campfire, he says, do you have anything to eat? I mean, that has to be one of the most peculiar questions at one of the most significant moments in Scripture. And frankly, I've always loved and, and been partial to the to the earthier and grittier King James version of this, where Jesus asks of them, do you, do ye have a piece of meat? I mean, how utterly and beautifully practical is Jesus' question. Do you have anything to eat? And it's asked of those who, who must have been rubbing their eyes in disbelief. I mean, is this a ghost? Is this a figment of my imagination, some psychological experience? And Jesus' res uh, response to their astonishment is this. Can you share a piece of that tilapia? I mean, it's strange, isn't it? These grief-burdened disciples, perhaps at first annoyed by a, a hungry intruder into their sadness party, and they discover in Jesus' question what life teaches us about a lifetime of faith time and time and time again. That when you least expect it, you might glimpse the divine. And you might glimpse the divine in some of the most mundane of moments, the most commonplace time. When you least expect it, there is God. And so there it is. A simple question. And the disciples realize their journey with Jesus is now 
just beginning. And as I said, we don't know exactly how they felt because rediscovered faith is, well, it's a little like falling in love. And so maybe, maybe the sky seemed a little bluer, grass a little greener, and the sun warmer on their shoulders. In some ways, the church was born in that strange but hopeful question. Do you have anything to eat? You know, that moment from the Gospel of Luke is our moment as well. Because we too, just as the disciples did, we stand on the other side of Easter. And you may not be aware of this, but, but many clergy and musicians as well are grateful that Easter is six weeks past. I mean, we're thankful that that wonderful Sunday has come and gone. Yes, the lilies, the tulips, and the full choir are a bouquet for our eyes and our ears. But it's really difficult to sustain that kind of energy, that kind of level of preparation and coordination. And, and so a lot of pastors and musicians are glad that, well, we're glad that things are back to normal. But there's a problem with that, right? Kathy, Catherine, there's a problem with things being back to normal. Because here on the other side of Easter, as the disciples discover, our lives are not supposed to go back to normal. Just as life isn't supposed to be the same after you've fallen in love. And thus our task, our challenge, is not to return our lives to what they were before Easter, but instead, this is a way for those of us on the other side of Easter to know that Jesus is, well, real. No ghost is ever hungry. No figment of our imagination inquires about what's for dinner. And I think it's important to remember that when Jesus was standing with the disciples around that campfire and that skillet sizzling with fish, that was just as unimaginable and unbelievable to the disciples then as it is to us today. But it's no spirit, no ghost far removed from the human condition. Jesus is vulnerable. He's famished. He's hungry. But there are other questions after the resurrection of, from Jesus that are maybe more spiritual and more of the heart. And they reveal a different kind of vulnerability. In yet another gospel, Jesus asks of the disciples, of Peter in particular, do you love me? A different kind of vulnerability. But a resurrected Jesus, hungry for food and relationship, seems to say that Jesus needs you and me post-Easter almost as much as we need him. And all of this is centered around a story of a piece of grilled fish. I mean, it seems so simple and commonplace and mundane. Fish had to be, for Jesus, comfort food, I guess. I mean, he hung out with fishermen all the time, so he had to eat it all the time. Maybe he thought of it as 
a meal from home. And you know what it's like when your adult children, if you have them, come home, right? And you hope, and they hope, that you're going to make lemon chicken for them. Because lemon chicken, its smell, the sizzle of the fry pan, the way it looks on the plate in our house, the flour that is everywhere, all evoke memories for them of a wonderful time together. For my children, it's lemon chicken. For Jesus, maybe fish on the campfire. And for Henry Mack, it wasn't a meal, but the story itself that fed him. I doubt that you know Henry Mack. He's a funeral director back east. And my friend was the new pastor in town where Henry was the director. So Henry often called upon him to conduct the funerals of people who had no one left. A few were homeless folk that people couldn't even figure out their name. Some were people who had come here to this country a generation ago and had outlived everyone else but had no one to be there. So Henry would call my friend, and my friend would go. He'd put on his robe. He'd say the entire funeral service. And he would always include what Henry, in the phone call, would say had to be included. He said, please give a sermon. Tell a story of the resurrection. Henry would be the only other person there at the graveside. But for Henry... Standing on the other side of Easter, those stories of the surprised disciples meeting Jesus in common moments are exactly what he needed to live. And the gospel writers are telling us what it's like to stand on this other side of Easter. They're trying to explain the inexplicable, to decipher the indecipherable. It's like, but it's a difficult challenge. I mean, it's like trying to describe the spring to someone who's only known winter. Or as a friend said, to describe music to someone who's never had hearing. And so instead, you dance and you move and you hope that the person catches a small sense of what music feels like. For a small glimmer of the resurrection, is better than none. And sure, these are but glimpses of the risen Jesus. And they are inadequate. They are like trying to describe a sunset to someone without sight and saying it's, it's like a trumpet fanfare, but lots more. But for us, knowing a glimmer is enough for now. The great preacher, Gardner Taylor, once said that Easter is God's attempt to get back that which belongs to God, you and me. I mean, that's a beautiful way of thinking about Easter and these stories of the resurrection. Easter as an act of God which is determined to have you back. Determined to have God's creation love one another as Jesus loves us. I know. That's a big request from some mundane story of a campfire and grilled fish. 
Then again, Easter was a really big day. 